guys come in and stand. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. And into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Our God. Oh, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome and power, our God. Oh, our God. Into the darkness. Oh, into the darkness you shine. And out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Oh, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome and power, our God, oh, our God, yeah, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other, our God is healer. Awesome and power, our God, oh, our God. Our God is for us, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand again? Oh, what could stand again? Our God, oh, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other. God is healer, awesome the flower, our God, oh our God, yeah, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome the flower, our God, oh our God, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? Oh, what could stand Good morning, guys.
How are we feeling this morning? If you are interested in uh, just kind of knowing about Carpenter's Way, if you're interested in membership, uh, the class is starting right about now-ish. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and head out the doors. It's in the library right out here. Uh, if you're not, if you're going to stay in here, why don't you find somebody and tell them good morning. Follow, 
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. It is so good to see you this morning. That was a great song. You just wrote that? Just a few minutes ago, about 10 minutes ago. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope you had a great spring break. For those of you who don't have kids in college or high school, you heard it was spring break but didn't enjoy it because life was exactly the same for you. But it is good to have you here this morning. I know we got people watching online as they are traveling back from their destinations, and we're glad you're joining us. Uh, if you take your worship guides and open them, uh, I'd like to highlight a few things that are upcoming for you. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we want to give you a special welcome. We are so honored that you'd be with us this morning. It is our hope and our prayer that you're encouraged in your relationship with God having been with us today. Uh, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. And uh, so if you brought a Bible, you can uh, start making your way there and we'll join you in just a little while. Uh, it will be on the screens if you didn't bring a Bible, so that's okay too. We're just glad to have you with us and, uh, and welcome to Carpenter's Way. Again, as Chad said, if you're interested in learning more about Carpenter's Way or becoming a member, we've got that class going on right now in the library. And uh, we, can all, I, we can all close our eyes if you'd like to sneak out. But, or you can just get up and go if people think you're going for coffee, which is a thing we do here a lot. But uh, anyway, that, that will take place right now, and it goes through about 1145. Uh, you'll meet all the staff, all the elders, and get a chance to uh, hear why we do what we do and interact. And I'll be in there in the 11 o'clock hour and talk about theology a little bit and all. But uh, anyway, that's how you become a member of the church or learn more information or ask questions. Uh, I want to highlight a couple other things. Um, if you, um, as Easter approaches, uh, we put the information for the activities that weekend in the worship guide. So please take note of those and put those aside. And feel free to invite family and friends, uh, especially to the Good Friday service. That takes place at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. We do it at 3 because that's when the shofar was born. After the Passover lamb had been slain, uh, uh, Jesus had died, and uh, we want to reflect on that. If you have not been to one of our, one of our Good Friday services, um, the, it's, the room has candles in it. It's a time of Scripture. It's about 20, 25 minutes long, the service itself, and then there's communion after, and then you can head back to work or wherever you came from, but we would love to have you join us. It's a wonderful time of reflection, uh, and it is not about the resurrection. It's just about the crucifixion, so it kind of gets you in the mood for the weekend. Um, the only other thing I want to highlight this morning is in your worship guide, there is an insert about a ladies' spring gathering that's coming up. Uh, Julie will let you know more about that in coming weeks, but uh, you need to sign up for that at the woman's table. So as you leave directly across, there's some tables out there. One is a woman's ministry table, and uh, there's a sign-up for that. So if you have any questions, you can touch base with Julie, um, and I know she and her, and her team would love to have you join them for that. Again, remember that, that to build relationships, you've got to go beyond the service, and we encourage you to get involved in the Bible study groups or activities or events that go on all the time so you can make relationships uh, you know uh, our relationship with God and then each other is the center of everything we do so we encourage you to be involved in that I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to come forward and we will prepare for our offering this morning 
as they do, uh, I want to remind you that also in the worship guide this week, it's yellow, is our prayer uh, guide for those in our church who are ailing. Uh, please keep people in mind. Uh, we want to ask you at this time to pray for Dilly, uh, as Kent went to be with the Lord yesterday. And uh, I believe that we're thinking, they're thinking about having a service Thursday. Uh, watch our Facebook, and we'll keep you updated, and watch the newspaper and all. It'll be in there. And uh, we want to, you know, we've got a lot of people sick in our church and struggling, so we want to be lifting each other up for, in prayer. And, and uh, so let's do that. Let's, let's commit ourselves and each other to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather here together with, without fear of reparation or government intrusion or persecution, physical persecution, Father. Thank you that we can meet and open your word, and we're not afraid that what we will say will be uh, held against us. Lord Jesus, I, I, what a privilege that we have to live in this country. And Lord, um, to do life together, what an honor. And I thank you for this community, Lord, that is encouraging to myself and my family. And uh, we can encourage and love on each other. Lord, this morning we lift up uh, Dilly to you and her family, Cindy and the others in the family, as, as they, uh, they begin to realize that uh, Kent is with you and that there's an empty seat at the table, and that can be painful. And Lord, there's others in our, our church family that are hurting, and uh, we think of the Smart's niece and uh, just others, Father. You, you know names and faces and struggles and fears and Lord, I thank you that we can run to you, and you call yourself the great physician. You tell us to seek you first in your kingdom, and you'll take care of the other needs that we've got. We do trust you for that, even though our hearts at time do not. Uh, help us with our unbelief, Father. Um, now, as we, as we turn our face to worship you through our giving, through singing some more, through the word, Lord, we pray that you would impact us powerfully this morning together as a family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stronger 
Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
Yeah. 
Most of you are probably aware that the first verse of that song was written by Horatio Spafford as he sat on an ocean liner exactly over the place that most of his family died. Uh, it was in the late 1800s that they were going over to England to join D.L. Moody on a conference and uh, his ministry over there, and he sent his wife and children away first because, from what I understand, the great Chicago fire, there were some responsibilities he had to follow up with there, and he was going to follow them. And he got a note, a telegram from his wife saying uh, that their, ki their kids had died. Uh, and he wrote that over that spot. And I, I don't know that we think about it, but uh, this was a man in deep grief. It really makes that first verse powerful because it talks like uh, sea billowing, rolling, and, and the devastation of that. But the chorus says, it is well with my soul. It doesn't say my heart feels good or I'm feeling great. It is well with my soul. There is peace with God when you know where your hope lies. 
And, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of conversation in the church and outside of the church about the church's belief on the role of women or homosexual marriage or whatever else that we want to get into debates about, what kind of music we can sing. None of that matters if it is not well with your soul. None of that matters. And so as we start this morning, before we even get into our text, I just beg of you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day. Just call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. What does that mean? If you know you're a sinner and you need help in that, run to him. If you don't want to deal with your sin on your own, Jesus Christ has already paid the price. It is foolish to die in your sin. Why would anybody want to take care of their own sin? It makes no sense. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be forgiven. Scripture promises if you know he's a sinner and you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you. That's why we celebrate Easter. Please don't lose that for the bunnies and the chocolate. I mean, I tell you what, there's nothing better before diabetes if, uh, is a Reese's peanut butter bunny <laughs> or a Cadbury egg. Those are great. But even if your tummy is happy, if your soul is not at peace, you're in trouble. And uh, Satan is offering us a lot of, a lot of substitutions. It's, it, they've always been around. You know, Satan will, Satan will sue for peace and he'll give you whatever it takes to keep you from bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. But I just, I just want to tell you that everything else we talk about doesn't matter if, if you haven't come to know him. Nothing else matters. So meet him today. Meet him today. You don't have to be Baptist. You don't have to walk an aisle. You can just cry out to him. And I, and I really mean that. Don't get lost in the debate over religion and churches and denominations. Just run to Jesus. That stuff, that stuff we can talk about after. Um, we can talk about why we're Southern Baptists a different day. But at the end of the day, being a member of Carpenter's Way Baptist Church will not even get you a free cup of coffee at Denny's. But I will tell you, being a child of God will get you eternal life with Him. And peace, even in the death of your children, which is hard to fathom, but God gives hope. There is hope. And uh, I know that a lot of you are struggling right now and hurting, and uh, Donna Bussler and I were talking about that today. We have a lot of friends that are just hurting right now. And that's hard. Uh, but I want you to know that God remains faithful. And I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to get into this text. And boy, if you can just listen to today's text and, and put it in context and listen to what the Lord gave me, I, I just really think you'll leave here encouraged. Um, so, so let's just pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for settling the issue of our soul. Everything else is just temporary. And for those of us who know you, Father, when we sing that song for a moment in time, we are reminded that uh, in light of that, we have nothing to fear. But there's still things that are scary. And so I pray, Father, that you would remind us today that you are good, even if you are not safe. That uh, David is a wonderful example of your plan. So uh, thank you for this text. Thank you for these people. Thank you for those on the internet. Thank you that we can gather. And thank you that your Holy Spirit is omnipresent everywhere. And you can touch the hearts of people uh, wherever they are. So today, may today be the day of salvation, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, our look at 1 Samuel last week ended with this story from 1 Samuel 16. And I'll read you verses 6 to 13. Or verse 1 to 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Verse 2. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. 
and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Very important verse right there. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in, the, in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome and with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. From last week's text, we gleaned four characteristics of the life of a man or woman of God, a faithful man or woman of God, with the last one being my personal favorite. While we may know what God is doing, in the end, the big picture, coming back, what they knew that he would offer his Messiah, while we may have a big idea of what God is doing, we don't know how he's going to do it. In fact, we have no idea how he's going to do it. I told you that while I believe most of God's kids want to be faithful to God in their lives, to be like Samuel instead of Saul, most of us passionately try to avoid the process that made them great. We spend most of our time trying to avoid heart-wrenching, scary, and even personal pain that made them amazing men and women of God. Well, while this historical book we're studying has given us a quick overview of most of the characters in Scripture, like, for instance, the great Samuel that we just studied, it's about to offer us great detail into the development and life of, of the amazing David. Really deep, intimate detail. David is a unique character in the Scriptures because of all the people in the Scriptures, I mean all the people in the Scriptures, anyone, of all of them that you can think of, there's only one in the Scriptures where God says, that's a man after my own heart. That one guy. He pulls him out of all humanity to say, that's a man after my own heart. In fact, the scripture actually tells us that it is because of that, him being a man after God's heart, that he is chosen to be the second human king of the Hebrews. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, But now your kingdom must end, Samuel told Saul, for the Lord has sought out a man after his heart. That was David. What does God mean by that? In our modern terms, God is saying, this is what it looks like for a human to long to be close with me. It's always been about relationships, you guys. Not obedience, but a relationship. In fact, I believe God wants us to understand not just David, that's what it looks like, but also his interior thoughts and feelings. That's why God had a human authors put together a book, the largest book in the Bible, Psalms, 
which actually encompasses many of David's thoughts, his poetry, his hymns, his thoughts. Why? Because God wants us to know not just what it looks like to be a man or woman of God, but what it feels like to be a man or woman of God. I want to say again that I believe if we polled most Christians today, and probably most in this room, we would find that about 95% of us would say that we would rather be David than Saul. I mean, it would be foolish to be Saul. We would say that we want to be men and women who seek after God. The problem is, and I want you to pay attention here, it is easier for us to seek after the things of God than to seek after God himself. And that's where Satan does his best work in most of our lives. It's not that we don't want to be moral or religious. It's that we replace God with those things. We call being a moral individual, a good husband, Christian, which is not necessarily the definition of Christian. There are immoral children of God, and there are very moral people who have nothing to do with God. And so we, we, we replace what it looks like to be a man after God's own heart. And I want you to remember that. I'm going to remind you that of every week. So after this morning, we're going to take two weeks break from 1 Samuel. We're going to get into our Easter stuff. And then we'll get back into here with the story of David and Goliath the following week, which will be phenomenal, as you know. I know none of you know that story. I'm going to act it out for you. <laughs> Except for the carrying the head around for seven days. We won't do that. But, but that, I'm not going to act it out. I'm just kidding. But we're going to do that in, in the week after Easter. So we're going to take a little break. But, but this text... Today's text, the second half of 16, lays some pretty cool stuff out. And, and I hope, I hope and I pray that I can help you see what God showed me this week because I think it will blow your mind and give you comfort for wherever you're at this morning. I want to remind you that it is easier for us to seek after the things of God instead of God himself. It was the heart of this boy. Remember, we haven't gotten to David and Goliath yet. That's coming. He was anointed to be king as a little boy, a shepherd boy. The, what's going to happen at the end of 16 takes place before David and Goliath. And we believe David and Goliath took place around 15 or 16 years of age. So he's just a, a young teen boy, if that, when all these things take place. It was the heart of this boy that, that moved God. And it was the passion for closeness with God that affected David's choices, not the opposite. David didn't obey and fall in love with God. He fell in love with God and as a result wanted to know him. And as a result, his life was changed. For many of us, we grew up in a church that taught us to fake it until we made it. And I want to tell you something. That just makes you moral. It makes you Mormon. It doesn't make you a child of God. The truth is, morality will only get you dead clean. It won't get you to heaven. But a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus gets you eternal life. And in the position of child of God, the Holy Spirit begins to transform you and I and change us only this time from the inside out. Super important to understand that. The man or woman of God does not perform or obey to obtain a position in God's family. He or she performs or obeys because of their royal position. And that truth is lost on the legalist, and I'd say probably most Christians today. Remember, when David was anointed to be the next king of the Hebrews, he was a young teen boy. Merely a shepherd boy who spent much of his time alone with sheep out on the hills of the countryside with animals and alone with God. According to 1 Samuel 16, he was known for his heart playing, his poetry, and his song composing. In 2 Samuel 23, David is called the sweet psalmist of Israel. In 1 Chronicles 25, he organized the music ministry for the temple of the Lord. 
I'm laughing because I'm thinking of how he'd fit in in East Texas. In 1 Chronicles 23, he provided instruments to what was the temple orchestra. What is so interesting about this handsome little musical boy? Okay, we, Now, I, I get it. You know David is the man, but I want you to picture him chronologically as this little harp-playing boy whose dad didn't even invite him to the anointing ceremony of his older brother. That's what they thought. I mean, he's an afterthought. He's fine. They love him. You're going to find out that, well, their dad loves him. Their brothers are annoyed by him, as all older brothers are. Now, I'm the youngest brother, so that's a major mistake on older brother's view. But the truth is, David was a pretty boy. And he was an artist. And you know what? All that came with that. However, he was also known for his warrior nature, it tells us. I mean, here's another observation of note. While David was artistic, musical, poetic, and pretty, he was not a soft-hearted wimp. While David, in the same mode, was a warrior, he was not a hard-hearted killer either. All right, I'm setting you up. Pay attention here. Something interesting that hit me this week as I was studying David Light's life and his thoughts through the scriptures, especially in Psalms, was that David himself understood as a man the uniqueness of his personality, of how God had actually sewn him together very uniquely. Let me show it to you from Psalm 139. Two overriding principles. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, and, and another thing we do is when we read, sometimes we skip over some very important information. He's sharing stuff with you. Like, for instance, Psalm 23 tells you how David made it as the king of Israel. Did you know that? It, it, it's a psalm I love to use at funerals, but only when they're Christians because it's exclaimed how a person, it tells how a person makes it through life because life can be difficult. David said, look, I know I'm your shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd. So if you slow your brain down and don't categorize everything like you've been taught to categorize them, you find some interesting things. For instance, Psalm 139 says, You, God, made me all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. So I just want you to pause here for a second, and I want you to understand that David is making a, a doctrinal statement. I, he's not making it for everybody but himself. You made me who I am, God, in my mother's womb. Before I made good decisions or bad decisions, before I did anything, before even people saw me, you had sewn me together, and I am a complex being. You see, this, this warrior, harpist, poet, artist... Was, comp was a complex tapestry of giftedness and personality that God had uniquely tooled together for his purposes. And I'm going to show you in the end of chapter 16 why he had to be the perfect tapestry of warrior, harpist, poet. And that is a weird triangulation. You, you realize how weird that is, right? Nobody's going to answer. Let me ask this. How many of you hunted this last year? Raise your hands, please. Do not leave me hanging. Put them up real high. Women, do not lie to me. I'm, the, I'm God's anointed. I will strike you down. All of you raise your hand. How many of you took a harp with you into... Men, I need, I need some help here. How many of you men went hunting with a group of men this year? How many of you actually took a harp or a harmonica with you and said, we're going to sing this evening? <laughs> After you get there and you put the beans on the counter and go, we're going to eat good... Nobody breaks out the violin, okay? That just doesn't happen. It's just not how things are done. 
And it wasn't done back then except that this guy, this is how God made him. This is uniquely. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I remember hearing how important it was for, uh, you know, for uh, people to be instrumental as shepherds because the sheep would be unsettled and then they would play. Look, I get that. That's where we got cowboy musicians from. You knew that, right? Good for you, Texans. I didn't think you knew that. They would sit out there and, you know, bring home, home on the range. I mean, they would, they would sing their songs, and it would calm the cattle. But please understand, there's only five of them in the history of Texas that actually could care a tune. <laughs> cattle don't care. It calmed them down. David wasn't just a harp player. He was a darn good harp player. David wasn't just a songwriter. He was a good songwriter. And to this day, Jews still sing his songs. He was a poet. He was the perfect Renaissance man because he needed to be. And I'll show you that in a few minutes. But before we get there, I want to remind you that this isn't just to David. This is you. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Do you know what the Greek word for masterpiece is? Most of our Bibles actually translate it masterpiece. It could have equally been translated as tapestry. In other words, you've seen tapestry, old, very old tapestry. If you watch The Crown, you see them all over the walls of, of royalty. They're hundreds of years old, um, and they're amazing. And what makes them amazing is they can take and make a face out of strings of color. It's an artist. I mean, it's an artist who can make a picture out of tapestry. Why? Because they understand that every piece, every little tiny string somehow fits into the big picture, which is what God did. When you pass cards to each other going, I know you're not very attractive to the world, but you are God's masterpiece. It's not really about looks. That was a joke. It didn't go well. Uh, it's not really about looks. It's about your creation. You are perfectly tooled together by the master to be the tapestry he created you and I to be. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. The Greek word for that is tapestry, and I don't want you to forget that. The second thing, so the first thing David observed about himself is what we know about ourselves, and that is he was wonderfully complex, exactly as he needed to be. And verse 15 through 16 says this, You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. Why would God want to watch him? Because he wants to make sure he's being made perfectly. Keep going. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So David is proclaiming that not only is he a, interest, a complex individual, a harp, poet, hymnist, warrior, but God had laid out his life before him. And the two of them would marry in his life. Oh, and again, in case you think this is unique to David, look at all of Ephesians 2.10. It's coming. There it is. For we are God's masterpiece, his tapestry. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So David understood that his makeup was unique and crazy cool. Strangely a mixture of all these pieces. But it was because God had laid out his life, he knew how to make him. It's the same with you and I. There's no difference. We are God's tapestry put together perfectly for what God has laid out for us, whether we understand it, know where we're going or not. Another place in the Psalms, David said this, Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs, what are the words? The steps of the godly. He delights in what? 
every detail of their lives. David wasn't just waxing poetic here. David knew firsthand these things to be true. And he knew them because he had seen God sew together his life, his makeup, to not only who, we ha- who he was, but how he had ordained these characteristics to be used even before he takes on Goliath. And that's what we're going to see from today's text in, in 1 Samuel 16. So again, context. David has been anointed as king at this secretish ceremony. It's not a very secret ceremony. It's not just like 10 people. You actually had, remember, the elders of the town that joined them. But it is relatively secret, and I read to you about it already this morning. And then everybody goes home. Why? Because after the anointing is done, God didn't tell them to do anything else. Please understand that as you look back on history, you know that this is the beginning of something crazy. They didn't know that. I want to remind you how unimportant the position of king had become. Remember when the Philistines attacked two weeks ago, the, the, uh, the Hebrews? They didn't even tell Saul. They told everybody else, come fight, come fight. These guys had been so nominal. He was a figurehead to them. They didn't want him to lead them. They didn't want anybody leading them. And after David is anointed, they go home. There was nothing else to be done that day. Samuel goes to Ramah. Jesse to their home with with his older boys. And David, little Davy, goes right back into the fields. Samuel had obeyed God and anointed David as their next king, and then David had watched this thing happen to him. Everybody goes on in their lives, except David, whose hair is now oily. But they go on with their lives. Taking us to today's text, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Remember how I told you that Samuel, or whomever wrote this, liked to compare and contrast characters in this book? Well, actually, it isn't Samuel and Saul that are contrasted and compared. It's Saul to David. And it really begins here in earnest. Because here you have uh, the Holy Spirit leaving Saul. And I want to remind you, this is different than the Holy Spirit inhabiting you under the New Covenant. Under the New Covenant, according to Ephesians, you are inhabited by the Holy Spirit at the moment of your salvation, and He is our guarantee. In fact, put that up there for us, Louise. Ephesians 1.13 says this about you. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. This Spirit is God's guarantee. God's guarantee. He's like a ticket. That he will give us the inheritance he has promised, that he has purchased us to be his own. So at the moment of your salvation, you received the Holy Spirit. He came to live within you. Throughout the New Testament, you're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. He promises never to leave until you get to heaven where you'll exchange the Holy Spirit for a new body and eternal life. That's how it works under the new covenant. Under the old covenant, though, their sins weren't removed and God can't have fellowship with sin. And so the people did the sacrificial system, looking forward, and their sin would be atoned for or covered, looking forward to the day when God would offer somehow an ultimate sacrifice that would take away the sin of the world. We know that as Jesus Christ. That's what we'll celebrate in two weeks. But they didn't know all that. They just knew that they were looking forward by faith to God one day removing their sin. Until that point, the only person anointed by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament were, were offices, prophets, priests, and kings. And when you wanted to hear from God, you would pray, but you would go to one of them to hear, or the scriptures, you would go to one of them and they would communicate with you on behalf of God. That's why you have throughout the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. They're actually speaking on behalf of God. What you had, though, is not a permanent filling. They would only be filled by the Holy Spirit until God removed their anointing. For instance, Saul 
had turned his back on God and God removed his anointing. And so the Holy Spirit leaves. And the Holy Spirit goes and he now inhabits David. Opposites. But what's really strange here is that instead of just leaving him alone, he actually sends a tormenting spirit. This is really interesting. God removes the Holy Spirit from Saul because his anointing as king had been revoked. But he replaces him with a tormenting spirit. Uh, and, And this is really important because, as I pointed out already, once the Spirit of God left Saul, in its place, God sent this spirit. The Hebrew word refers to a troubling or evil spirit to attack Saul. We don't know a lot about this. And most of the time in our study, we get stuck here. But we simply don't know really all about it. It doesn't give us a demonology. It doesn't give us doctrine. It just tells us what God does with Saul. And I'm going to explain why he does it in a few moments. But I want you to understand that in the Hebrew, this situation is so unique, there is nowhere else in the Old Testament that this happens. In fact, there's a Hebrew word that is unique to this. It's called ba'at, which describes Saul's condition. And that word is not used in any other place. I don't know why the New Living Translation decides to say that he went into a depression. No other translation says that, nor does the Hebrew. We just know that he was tormented by this spirit. Just to be clear, due to the way it's written in Hebrew, this was not an accident or a medical condition. This was an actual evil judging spirit that God, God, Jehovah God sent to torment or cause misery in Saul. Why? Because God had a plan. He had a plan. And as always... He started moving the chess pieces around the table to direct the steps of the godly. Verse 15. Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp. Whenever the (laughs) You're laughing already. Whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you, he will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. Now, this is interesting, and I did not know that till this week, but it was believed in Hebraic circles in Old Testament, and you see it specifically in the light of life of Elisha, that if you were being haunted or attacked or you needed a, a filling of the Spirit or you needed a God to comfort you, you would bring a harpist or a, or a musician in. So it was known. So when they say what you need is harp music, they're not going, you need to sleep better or we need to you know, rub your forehead. What they're doing is they're doing a spiritual ritual. They think, hey, God has obviously sent a demon. He's messing with you. What we've got to do is kind of find spiritual peace. And instead of taking an aspirin, they, spent, they, they decide that he needs a harpist. All right, Saul said, verse 17. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. Hmm. One of the servants said to Saul, Hey, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem. He's a tar- talented harp player. I don't remember his name. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord's with him. Tapestry. You get it? Now David isn't sitting around going, I am great, make music and play the harp. He's not doing that. David is tending sheep. And when the sheep are buying, I don't know what sheep do. I've never been a shepherd. <laughs> Just kidding. When, he's sitting, when they're sitting out there, he plays the harp and he writes music. That's what he does for fun. He sits and he looks at the stars and he enjoys the presence of the Lord and he worships the Creator and he wants to get to know Him. He loves doing that. How do I know that? Because many of those writings we have. He loved God. But he didn't, he didn't write those so that 5,000 years later, we're going to sit on a Sunday morning and study the Psalms. He wrote them because they were an outflowing of his heart. This boy loved God. And God had a plan for this boy. 
God had a plan for this boy, and it would involve him being a harpist, hymnist, poet, warrior. And look, they identify all those things. Please notice that they don't go, hey, David, he's the kind of guy you're looking for. It's like, oh, Jesse, you know Jesse? Yeah, he's got those eight boys. That, he's got a young one. You know, I actually heard him play. He's pretty good. That's what we need to do. We need to bring that kid out. Is that cool or what? Thank you. Please get this. Please see this. Let me work through this. To Saul and his court, they're watching their leader fade into crazy. And they wanted to help. And there was some random son of Jesse, the youngest one. He's, he's handsome, but beyond that, he's a shepherd boy. There's no reason for them to choose him. He's out there, and it seemed like he was perfectly suited to minister to a king. He was the perfect task tapestry of personality and talent for the job. To David, well, look what happens. In verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse. They don't even go to David. They send messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with the young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. <clears throat> so David went to Saul and he began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David become his, became his armor bearer. <clears throat> then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, Please let David remain in my servants, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit of God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. So next time somebody wants to sit around and learn demonology from this text, I want to remind you that Satan loves to distract us with things that we can't prove and doctrines we don't even know about. And then we end up missing the beautiful picture. And what's the beautiful picture in here? That God was sewing together in a little boy, a boy who would one day be king and needed access to a throne room so he knew how to become a king. What do kings do? How do you teach a boy to be a king? You put him in a court. And it was no different for another leader of the nation of Israel. Remember the nation's first shepherd? What did God do? He had the Egyptians kill all the firstborn Jewish boys, all except for one who happens to be floating downstream when he's caught by Pharaoh's daughter, who then decides she's going to raise him herself, and he puts her in, him in her court, and she starts going, well, I can't, I can't nurse him. I wonder where I could find somebody to nurse him. And out of the bushes, hey, I know a young Jewish mom who can nurse this child. Just turns out to be his mother. God orchestrates things. He moves pieces around. He's in control. Even when all Moses' mom is worried about is letting her boy live. And his sister, all she wants is for her brother to live. And all David wants is to obey his dad. That's what boys do. David didn't run to the court because he thought, oh, now I'm going to become the king. This is how I learned. David's too stupid. He's a little kid who plays the harp and protects sheep. That's all he is. And Jesse, he's just the dad who picked seven of the wrong boys to be the king. And Samuel has no idea what God is doing. Let's be clear. I mean, he knows how this is going to end up. He anointed David. He's going to be king. But I have no idea how he's going to get from here, shepherd boy to king. You see, one of the things that happens in my life, and I think probably in most of your life, is we're so busy trying to discover how the end looks. And why do we do that? Not so we can worship God as awesome, but so we can try to figure out his plan so that we don't step out of it. Well, what's wrong with not wanting to step out of God's plan? God's plan for you is not to figure his plan out so you can stand in the middle of it. His plan for you is to love him and trust him. And I got to tell you something. I can only speak for myself here this morning, but most of my anxiety comes from trying to figure God's plan out instead of riding his ride. 
You see, David's job at this age was not to make his way into king, to Saul's court. It was his job to become a really good harpist, despite not even thinking about what that would mean for him. He was supposed to take care of sheep, that's all, and obey his dad. And if he did those things, he would end up exactly where God wanted him to end up. You see, to David at the time, he wasn't doing anything more than obeying his daddy. When his dad calls him and says, I want you to go to the king court, he goes, okay. He goes to the king's court. Uh, in this text, by the way, uh, I know uh, I never realized this, but uh, Hebrew scholars say that there's an inference towards the end of what I just read you where David doesn't actually live in the king's court. He runs back and forth. So basically, when the king calms down, he sends David back into the fields to, to tend to his father's flock, which explains why David was there when they take on Goliath in a few weeks. Because he, he didn't live with Saul. He would just, when Saul would freak out, when the demon would come and start bothering him, He'd call for him. Just to make it clear, God can do anything he wants with anybody he wants and he doesn't ever have to do it again. Why do you have this demon being sent to Saul? That's not very nice. It's really nice when you realize that David is going to be the next king, the promised one who's through his line is going to be the Messiah and God is going to fulfill that. He's moving the chess pieces. You see, if David never makes it to the throne, you and I aren't saved this morning. Why? Because that's the prophecy. I mean, the fact is that, that they had no clue. So, to, to, to Saul, he just wants peace. To his court, they just want to give him peace. To David, he just needs to obey his dad and do whatever his dad tells him. But to God, oh, to God, he's moving the chess pieces for what was to come that no human had any idea. It was the beginning of David's exposure to a Hebrew throne because he was cho chosen and anointed to take it. So God moved him into its presence. Do you see it now? In case you don't, Psalm 37, 23. I already read it to you. The Lord directs the... What? Steps of the godly. And he delights in every detail of your life. Your life. Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Romans 8, 9. But you aren't controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And I know most of you are thinking, I've heard that verse before, and it's talking about your sinful flesh. Not necessarily. You know, it's talking about who leads you. That's what it's talking about. It, we, we always, whenever we think about our flesh, we think about its wickedness, sure that it's sinful. But we've been redeemed from that. And it's been replaced, being, following the desires of our flesh is now transformed into following what God has for us. And as we do, we follow Him right into exactly where He wants us to be. Are you single? God knows that. Well, I don't want to be single. You gave your life to Him. Are you poor? God knows that. Are you too rich where it's distracting? God knows that. Give it away. It doesn't belong to you anyway. Seriously. Where you find yourself today is not an accident. Well, I don't see God's hand. He didn't ask you to look that hard. He asked you to trust Him. I'm with you. I don't understand all that's going on. It's crazy right now, oh, probably because I have social media, which I've got to figure out how to get rid of while keeping in contact with you. But the truth is, the world isn't any crazier than it's ever been. I was talking to John this morning. It looks like politics are going nuts, but we have yet to have two people in Congress shoot each other. That's happened in history, right? I mean, it's not that, it's crazy, but it's not that crazy. And yet it feels crazier. Why? Because we're living on our feelings, not our trust, and Satan wants to keep us from trusting God. He wants to keep our eyes on our navels, not on his throne. And it's really hard. It's really hard, isn't it? Can we just admit it's really hard? Am I the only one who thinks it's hard? I mean... I mean, when you hit 50, except for me, I love my job because my bosses are awesome, all 900 of them. But you wake up one day and seriously, this is it? 
And God goes, oh no, I have just begun to work in you. Well, I don't see it. It's because I haven't shown it to you yet. Wait till I write a book with you about you. You'll be dead, but it'll be a great story. I mean, it is about trust for us now, right? I mean, since our sin has been removed, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, then the truth is the battle for the spiritual attention isn't about sin, it's about trust. And when I don't trust him is when I sin, right? I lower my standards so I can feel better because I don't like what God is doing or I don't see what God is doing. And if God hasn't shared with me what, I, what he's doing, I don't think I should be faithful to him. How silly is that? That makes us like Saul. You see, all David was doing in this story was obeying his daddy. I mean, this, this is an incredible story because Ephesians 2, 8-10 says that it's not David's story, it's yours. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. You cannot boast about it. For you are God's masterpiece and he created you anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that you could do good things he planned for you long ago. And most of us go, yeah, pastor, I'm in. What do you want me to do? And God says, just do what I tell you to do. Yeah, but I got to know what you're telling me to do. No, I don't. You don't need to know. What you need to do is, is tend to your sheep. Moms, your sheep are annoying. I know. <laughs> tend to them anyway. That's all David was doing. Tend to your flock. Tend to your flock. Are you a teacher? I know it's hard. And it seems like you're getting burnt at every corner. I don't understand the retirement thing and the insurance thing. I don't understand it. There's too much chaos going on in my head. Forgive me for, for not studying it deeper. I, I, I'll preach on it one day. But, but here's the deal. God's even got that. And he's got our crazy tweeting president. And he's got our crazy California congresswoman. And he's got all these crazy people in Washington and he's moving his pieces around. Well, I don't like what he's doing. America used to be great, unless you were black or an Indian. Oh, sorry about that. I forgot I was in the South for a second. You do realize that, right? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing for us to look at Andy Griffith and go, I remember when life was like that. No, you do not. Because when Andy Griffith was being made, there were black people being shot at Kent State in Ohio. Please understand that I've bought into the lie that there was a day in this country when things were just safer. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember jumping under my desk for Soviet war nuclear tests in San Diego. Did you guys have those here? Now, just to give you an idea, they would ring a bell, and then you'd jump under your desk, and you'd kiss your rear end goodbye, because that is not going to save you from nuclear holocaust. <laughs> it's a little bit like being on a plane. Okay, we're all going down. Now, here are your crash positions. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know why it does that. All I know is that God has us right now at this moment, in this crazy moment of your life, exactly where he wants you. And not for today, but for tomorrow. I know, I, I, I'm frustrated too. I wish he'd let me in. But I remember my dad saying, you know what, son, this is none of your business. I love the, and forgive me for using this over and over again, but we, we love this example. When our kids were four and five and six and start going to school and start asking questions, they would ask questions that we could clearly answer, especially sexual questions. And we would say to our kids, you know what, son? You know what, Zachy? Anna? We can answer those questions. But you know, some, some information is like, it's like in a heavy box. Remember I've told you this? And we can pick that box up and hand it to you and explain all of those details. The problem is, once we pick it up and hand it to you, you've now got to carry it for the rest of your life. 
So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to ask you to trust us that the day will come very, very soon where we're going to pick up that box with you when we can no longer carry it for you. Until then, you just trust us. It was about 13, or it was younger than that. It was probably 10 or 11 that Zach came home from school. He had learned some words that he wanted to share with me. And... Uh, and, uh, I, and, then, and then they were connected to sexual things. And I said, okay, Zach, it's time for us to have that talk. And I began to explain to him. He said, Dad, that box is too heavy. <laughs> the truth is that there are boxes that God has full of information that he doesn't want you to know because it's his job to carry them. Well, I'm not doing so good down here right now, God. God's just asking you today to go back out to your field and tend to your flock. That's all he's asking you to do. He's asking you to go back to work tomorrow after spring break and love those demon-possessed children <laughs> for pay that is way too low. He's asking you to go back to whatever, fill in the blank. He's not asking you to figure out when he's going to return. Enough of that, right? We know he's going to return. We just don't know what that looks like. And you, we should be okay with that. Jesus was okay with that. We don't know what the middle looks like. All we know is that we have been called to do some things. So go do it. What does God want from me, Pastor? He wants you to take your wife out to lunch. Well, I mean, yeah, I get that. But I mean, what does he want me to do? He wants you to hold your wife's hand. She's got oily fingers. <laughs> he wants you to take a, a piece of paper and wipe her hand off and hold her hand. He wants you to hold each other's hand. He wants you to come here and worship with each other. Ladies, he wants you to go to the women's events so you can get to know other women who are struggling just like you or, or encourage others who are younger. Men, he wants you to take your wife to Bible study. Oh, that was very self-serving preacher. It has nothing to do with Carpenter's Way. Look, I want the budget set more than anybody in this church, but if money distracts you, don't give. Just write me a personal check. <laughs> Seriously, it ain't about money. And it is not about sustaining Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. This church needs to shut down the day we're done. The day God's done with this, it needs to shut down. I've prayed that with the elders. The elders have prayed that. Only use us as long as we're necessary. It's not about that. It's about this. We come together every week out of our fields and we minister to each other and we remind each other that the good shepherd, he's got this. He's got this. And each and every one of you are perfectly sewn together for exactly what comes next. Exactly what comes next. Proverbs 20, 24. Is that not the perfect ending to this message? For those of you watching at home, that was a great ending to this message. The Lord directs our steps so why try and understand everything along the way? Just enjoy the ride. Lord Jesus, help us to trust. We do trust you. <laughs> help us with our lack of trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. <laughs>